One day you finally knew what you had to do and began. Though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles, mend my life, each voice cried, but you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do, though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible. It was already late, enough, and a wild night, and the road full of fallen branches and stones, but little by little, as you left their voice behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice which you slowly recognized as your own that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life that you could save. The Journey by Mary Oliver Welcome to Becoming Human. My name is Tyler Kleberger, and my hope today is to present some ideas to facilitate our human trajectory and hopefully midwife some growth. And today we're going to be looking at change. We've already discussed whether or not change is possible and what are some of the ways we need to approach change. But now we're actually going to get into the first step. So it's going to involve some philosophy. Also, there's going to be some techniques we're going to explore. And this is only the beginning. There is much to come after this, but this is a great way to orient ourselves towards what's going on with how we are going to change in the first place. And what I hope you notice today is, is so far, we've kind of been looking at this from a very individual, personal perspective. And I think that's very true. And that is the space that you have the most control over. But I hope what you start seeing is that uh, these, these ideas and these techniques and these practices, these processes, uh, they can translate into various layers of existence, the personal and individual, the relational, the communal, the societal, the cultural, the global. Uh, these can be transposed into any of those contexts. So we've talked about change is possible. It's unavoidable. It's also necessary and it's an opportunity. But how do we change well? So the first step that we have to talk about is that we must be aware of which direction we want to go. This has been the ambiguous part of our discussion on change so far. We've looked at, well, okay, it's going to happen, and but how do we know what to change? And how do we know what change is good and what change is not good? And how do we determine what we should grow and nurture and what we should transform and make different? Well, we have to know what road we intend to travel and which road is the appropriate one to stay on if we're going to intentionally drive the car on it. We have to know who you want to become in order to move towards that very particular goal. And so when we look at the dangers of change and we talk about, well, there's a healthiest way to not only approach change, but to be, we have to know what that is. Now, 
immediately it sounds like you know i'm going back to plato's theories of forms that there's these ideal forms of everything and we just have to figure out what it is and then we'll be fine it's not that easy. I do think there is some room for uh, naming that there are healthy ways and unhealthy ways, but there's no absolutes here. Some are more obvious. Um, You can think of probably things in your life that seem more obvious morally or as a lifestyle that aren't as good or healthy or noble or true. But for many of the decisions we have to make about where we are going, especially in the minute details, that's a lot more complex to navigate. Now, socially, we can look at things that seem to have a stronger moral or just bend, but even those are incredibly complex. And so before we start any movement towards healthy change, we need to know what is worth nurturing growth and what would be best to get rid of. And in order to do that, Before we're going to begin any practical steps towards change, we have to talk about what our destination is. So we're going to go back here to that word that's come up quite a bit and will probably continue to, teleology. Teleology, it, it just comes from a Greek word, telos, which just means end. And it's usually talked about, especially philosophically, as a a purpose or goal. The best way that I've understood it is if you think of the world's existence as a story, well, how is the story going to end? What's going to be the denouement of all of existence? That's a telos. And so teleology becomes really important in the conversation of ethics. And if we're talking about a destination what we want to change into, you think back a couple episodes to that image of the circle and that that center dot of the way things are supposed to be, uh, the best version of ourselves and the world, that's teleology, and ethics comes as a result of whatever your teleology is. Therefore, how you're going to morally behave and how you're going to want to uh, nurture and grow certain parts of your life and uh, get rid of and transform certain parts of your life will be best shaped if you understand the direction that you're trying to go. Now, despite the attempts by a lot of philosophers over time, and a lot of religious traditions, and even uh, humanist traditions over time, it would be really convenient if there just existed a plain and simple goal that we could all know. And, you know, I think that Aristotle's work, and, and, and he really worked hard to do this. And I think that he offered a lot of really good insight. But it, it seems probable that there's not just a simple absolutist answer to this question of teleology. And depending on your tradition and what you inherited and what you believe, quite frankly, about yourself and the world, you're going to have your own nuances in this. And there's very various approaches that people use, all of which can be helpful. So if you come from a more philosophical angle, especially if uh, you consider yourself a religious person, the concept of metaphysics is rife with teleological assumptions. So think back to episode one, and we were talking about how ethical decisions are informed by something, right? So whether you're doing a lot of exploring and learning 
you're scouring the philosophical and theoretical universe, how you understand the world is going to shape how you then live in the world. And in the field of social ethics, this is discussed as virtue. So you have some sort of intention that's shaped by some sort of understanding or teleology, and that leads to very practical ways that you're going to try to live right now, and that's virtue. Again, a lot of philosophers over time really talk about virtue. You go back and read Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, etc. Virtue is a word that comes up a lot. But this is even true in Eastern traditions. So think about what Confucius said. That we are designed to choose good. So choosing poorly is a lack of ethics, which comes from a lack of understanding. How you perceive the world is going to shape how you interact with it right now, or how you believe you're supposed to interact with it right now. And so there's that metaphysical approach where the way you assume the world is supposed to be, the way you assume that human beings are supposed to look, is based on how you understand the larger version of the world to be functioning. But you can also use the framework of science. Science can tell us, think about psychology. It can tell us what's the healthiest way to deal with trauma? What's the healthiest way to care for your mind? Or if you want to know what's the best way to eat for my particular body, well, science can help us figure that out. Or we could look at sociology or anthropology, communication, anything that has theoretical nuances or empirical observation to it where it's testing data and making decisions about the best way things are supposed to be. All of that is really useful to figuring out what's the best way to do this. And that's the first step of knowing how we're going to change. We have to know where we are going. And one conversation that I think is worth bringing up in this is the conversation in social ethics on moral authority. And recognizing that we all use different authorities to shape our moral understanding, and whether that's going to shape our teleological understanding, or just simply what are the virtues we should do right now, or simply, you know, what's the best way to do this thing that I'm trying to do. We all have different authorities for that. For some people, it's reason. And rationalism. And so we have to be able to think logically about certain things dealing with the world, especially metaphysics. And then we're going to be able to decide uh, how should we interact with the various parts of our lives. For other people, it's experience. And if you tend to be a science-driven person, so somebody who likes empirical ev evidence and peer-reviewed research and uh, observation-based data, you tend to put a lot of authority on experience. But you can also use other moral authorities. So collective tradition is one. For example, if you're in a religious tradition, your religious tradition probably elevates the role of the tradition itself. There's also various sources of moral authority. So in Christianity, you hear people talk about how the Bible is the source of all knowledge, etc., there's all these different ways that we can utilize to come to conclusions about what's the best way to do this. And having an interplay between various forms of understanding, so reason or pragmatism and imagination, being able to use all of those sources together, I think, is the best way to come to various conclusions. But let me reiterate 
There is not just a single answer for a particular thing out there waiting for you to find it. It's, it's not a puzzle or a treasure map that you have to put together. It's much more complex, and it adapts and evolves and it moves all the time. Remember, if we have said that change is not only possible, it's actually quite inevitably natural, it means that the various situations and contexts with which we live are constantly changing as well. So it's not just society is going to change and or you as a person are going to change. All of these factors are changing all the time. And think about this from the perspective of science. Every day, it seems like we have new data that helps us either refute or improve a previous understanding. Or you as a person trying to be very rational, well, you continue to learn more and it changes how you think a certain thing should be done. What I mean to say is that this idea of teleology and destination is not static. It's going to also evolve and morph. And you have to keep doing diligent work so that you can evolve and morph with it. Now, that being said, I do think it's helpful for us to portray some sort of general gloss on this overall trajectory. Because I do think that maybe it's not absolutely true, but it is helpful. And this is where I go back to what has been said over time. And I'm not trying to make a case that all philosophical schools and all religious traditions are just the same thing. I don't think that answer is that easy. What I do find is whether it's the ancient Greek concept of eudaimonia or ataraxes or universal flourishment, or the Tao, or the Jewish concept of shalom, or Christianity's the kingdom of God, or just health. Whatever tradition you want to look at, they're going to have their very specific nuances and takes, and it's going to shape different philosophical bends and practical bends within it. But there is some semblance of similarity. There are these purposive ideals that seem to coincide with one another, no, no matter what perspective you're coming at the human journey from. So for me, I love the phrase universal flourishing, and I'm stealing that a little bit from Judaism, a little bit from Christianity, a little bit from Stoicism as well. But this picture of there's this wholeness and goodness and health by which the world is supposed to exist in or has the potential to exist in and using science as well, it seems to emphasize that this would be the best way to live. And so in this approach of, well, how do we become human? Well, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to live in this world, in this universe? I think that phrase captures it well. No matter how we articulate that destination, though, we still have a lot of work to do for the very minute details of actual living, what we would call virtue, here and now. And our journey is about discovering what that looks like in each instance so that we can enact it. And so this is what we need to do. We need to ask, what should this look like? And this would be my challenge to you. You have to somehow name a semblance of a destination. If you could paint the picture for how the story of existence ought to end and be fulfilled, what would that look like? What is the image of being and becoming that best reflects how humans together can flourish and thrive 
within our ecological situations that we exist in. And this deals with you as an individual. This deals with your relationships. This deals with individual communities and how a multiplicity of people interact. But then economically, socially, culturally, and yes, ecologically, what ought this look like? And once you can create that general picture, now you're starting to get a destination. You're starting to get some GPS coordinates for that dot in the circle, in the center. And not only do you have to do this, because if you're going to change into the best version of yourself and create the best version of the world, you also need to do this because you're going to have one whether you recognize it or not. If you don't do this work, the world will give you a teleology. And so it's, it's not whether or not you have a teleology. It's whether or not you have given intentional consideration or unintentional absorption to create how you perceive the world is supposed to be. I also think it's fair to say, whatever you come up with right now, it's not going to be complete. Like I've used this phrase, universal flourishing, as a nice marker for me. But first of all, that doesn't give me a whole lot of answers to the very specifics of life. And second of all, it's very general. And so it leaves room for it to evolve and morph over time. The point isn't to have the puzzle solved of teleology. The point is to have a destination that reflects a good thing so that you can start moving towards it. But honestly, this is, it's an endless journey. And I don't think anybody's ever going to finally come to a conclusion where the rest of the world says, oh, we don't have to even think about that anymore. Just go on that journey. But it's important here. Mark that destination. Because once you determine the general direction that we can move, once you kind of have that... um, ultimate appearance of a goal, you can start actually making movement. If you don't have that, you will still move and you will still change who knows what direction you're going to go in. But once we have that, now the question becomes, how do we move there? So before we can begin the very tactile, practical process of change, which we will get to soon, We have to set those coordinates in our mind. And we have to set that in a way that we can maintain it. So I want to give you a couple techniques or a couple approaches, just generally, for how you can do this. And again, if you're talking about the practical process of change, this has to be first. So the first thing that I've seen that's worked uh, for myself, but more just from people around me, is the idea of some sort of affirmation. So last episode, I uh, used this framework of going, all right, so when you die, the person you are will stand next to the person you could have been. Will they be the same person? And the reason I like this question is is not because I think it's some sort of uh, metaphysical truth that that's actually going to happen. I like the question because of what it does to us. It allows you to see yourself where you are right now. But then it also assumes that you're considering this teleological goal, 
this destination and you're comparing where you are now with where you think you ought to go. And the dissonance of that allows us to say, all right, so who do you actually want to be? What's the kind of life that you want to have? And the destination that you perceive of existence is going to now create a linear progress from where you are now to that goal. The trick to this process, though, is uh, something that we could take from the theory of education, which is called the Pygmalion effect. And it's the idea that you interact with someone now with the attention of who they can be. So you see this in, in education, uh, in, in athletic coaching, um, and even in parenting. But I've also seen this work in like marriage conflict or relational conflict. You interact with the person for who they could be, and it actually pulls them a little bit closer to that. So the example that's often used, um, and this was actually done with various studies where they took students who were all kind of the same range, um, you know, like C, B students, but the teacher with half of them would treat them as if they were A students, right? So giving them challenging problems, uh, giving them more work to do, uh, speaking them to them in a way that just assumed, hey, you're, you're at the top of the class, you need to act, behave, work in this particular way. With the other students, that didn't happen. And as a result, C students started becoming A students. Now, there's a lot more peer review work that needs to be done with this, and there's probably a lot of loopholes within that study. Uh, but the effect, at least on an individual level, in my experience, has worked. Uh, so I, I coach um, high school football, and I see this happen where you speak to someone as they could be, and it pulls them a little bit in that direction. So when we're talking about you changing or society changing, in the role of affirmation, you start with, well, what is that way that it could be? What is that way that you could be? And you start interacting with yourself now as if that's already true about you. And so part of this is goal setting. So there's this process of placing a mark on the map where you intend to go. That's important. Establishing the destination is important because now it's easier to stay on the route. So if you think like, I'm going to drive, I live in Ohio, I'm going to drive to California. Well, if I just get in my car and I start moving, okay, I'll probably get there. If I have specific coordinates for where I want to go, now it's a lot easier to get there. And it's a lot easier for me to check, hey, am I, am I on the right path? Am I going the right direction? Is this the best route? Another component to this, though, outside of, okay, set that goal, see that reality, uh, especially in comparison to where you are, because it's going to help you move, is speaking into existence this intention as if it is already true. Because what happens when you, when you do this Pygmalion effect to yourself is it becomes the lens and filter that informs the daily decisions you make. So I'm going to use the example of an alcoholic. If the approach is to go, I don't want to drink today. Willpower could win out there and, and you, could avoid, you could avoid the drink. What has worked more effectively has been for an addict to say, 
I don't drink. So now, when a situation arises in which the drink is desired, they're able to use this lens that they have created about themselves based on this teleological destination to inform the kind of decision that they're going to make. It creates a standard for you that kind of aligns and tunes you to that destination and starts making it more a reality. Even though, quite technically, we're kind of tricking ourselves here, it's not true about you yet. You're, you're not quite that person. But you affirm it as if it is already true so that it becomes the directive in the present for who you want to be in the future. And let's, let's be honest about this too. One thing I love about this uh, affirmative approach is that it just assumes, hey, I'm not as bad as maybe the mental tapes in my head tell me I am. I am capable of doing difficult, hard, and good things. And it also says that your value as a person isn't necessarily dependent on whether or not you achieve that. It's saying, I'm already capable of a lot now. I'm already good where I am. I, I love this metaphor of, uh, at least in Amer- American culture, it seems like most people approach change and becoming as if they're like trying to make a team. Like the, the, the world is a tryout and they have to do certain things before they'll be deemed valuable, worthy, good, successful, etc. What the affirmative approach does, it says, hey, you're already on the team. You don't have to earn your spot as a human. But now that you're on a team, let's play. And let's set the standard high for the way that we're going to play. And we're more likely to get closer to that while still playing. I want to be clear that I'm not saying that you need the change in order to uh, become better or uh, to be worthwhile or to have value in society. The idea of becoming human is that you're already human, and because of that, you get you get to go on this journey of continuing to explore and develop and move, and I think that's beautiful. Now, you might be hearing all of this and saying, isn't this setting us up for failure? And let me confront this real quick. There is no failure. If you're already on the team, there's nothing you can do to be removed from the team. You're already human. You're already doing fine. You're you're breathing and you're alive and your life is a gift. So stop trying to think in terms of, is this going to fail um, or is this going to succeed? By setting the destination of driving from Ohio to California, if, if you only make it to Indiana, that doesn't mean that you're a failure. It just means that you're in Indiana now. It, it's fine. We have to stop thinking uh, th- through that lens of, I have to do these things. What it also does, though, is by creating that destination, especially in going like, I'm not in California right now. By creating that goal, it is more likely to catalyze movement towards something that you would deem good. And there's a quote, this is going to come up later once we start getting into the practical process, that realistic goals will make you feel like you did something great. Unrealistic goals will ensure that you actually do. I'm not saying that by creating a teleological destination, you're going to make that happen all in one swell swoop. What is likely, though, 
is if that becomes the directive, you're going to naturally move in that direction. Once you set the trajectory, the route becomes easier. And this will be uh, the content of an upcoming episode, but it's important to note here, before we get into that concept, by identifying and consistently affirming that goal and destination, you have a decreased chance of randomly changing in unideal ways. And that's the point of this. It's like setting the coordinates gives you constraints to guide you how you might not naturally be inclined to go based on where you are right now. See, we're attempting here to defy our natural drift, reminding us of a certain route often keeps us from reverting to our default state, which we're saying is going to change anyways. And so it might as well change in a way that reflects what it means to play on the team. Now, a couple very specific ways I've seen this interacted with is when I talk about, you know, think about the alcoholic and saying, I don't drink. Sometimes that's referred to as making the single decision. I've also seen this with people who, you know, want to exercise more or eat correctly. Um, But I've also seen this on larger sociological levels where, say, an organization or a community names, this is who we are. And once you make that single decision, that now becomes the framework by which you uh, understand yourself and continue to exist. And if you think back to uh, the second episode about philosophy and ethics, and I, I use that image of a graph, and you know, you on the bottom uh, horizontal axis, you, you have your daily sort of uh, components of your life, and then at the top is that ideal. Well, that ideal is what we're talking about here: is the teleological center, the goal, the destination, the framework, etc. And when you set that, you're able to then go, all right, so this is where things are now, but this is where we're going. And again, that becomes the purview you have of all of the decisions now you're going to make. Now, we still have to talk about how do we interact with those very uh, regular decisions. But if you have the umbrella of framework to help you see that uh, situation accordingly, that's going to help. So if you're holding something currently where you're like, okay, so this is something I'd, I'd like to either nurture and grow or something I'd like to uh, transformatively make different, so I have to put that down. All right, so what's the single decision that you're going to make in accordance with that? Name that. Affirm that. There's another technique, though, um, that I've, I found this one more practical and beneficial for myself. And this is actually based on a communication principle called goals, plans, and action theory. And what this does, uh, it's kind of a technique for how you're going to make decisions about what you do with yourself. But I think this coordinates with change as well. You have to name your goal, which is what we're talking about here. Once you have your goal, and uh, real quick, I should be honest, you can have several goals Right, I, I use the framework of universal flourishing, but then that continues to get broken down into different segments of life. 
once you have your goals, that's like the top part of, uh, think of a, like a triangle or a pyramid. That goes there. Now, as you begin to make plans, your plans have to fit within that goal. So if one of my goals is uh, to, let's say, uh, record this podcast, which that's not a great example of a goal, but it does show it creates now constraints where, okay, so decisions I'm going to make about how I'm coming up with content and writing and recording needs to fit within what I want that podcast to be like. And then you get to your actual actions. And of course, those now have to fit within your plans which fit within your goals. So another way you can think about this is like, make that top part, what is your identity? You know, use that affirmative Pygmalion effect. What is your identity? Now it's easier to decide what direction should I be going within this category of my life? That's a plan. What about this category of your life? That's another plan. And they have to fit within that goal, within that identity. And now it's a lot easier for you to figure out, okay, these different actions, what should those be? So goals, plans, action. It's, it's a way to sort of identify consistent ways for you to see the direction that you're going. And then the more you drive the car on that route, the more normal it becomes for you to follow that procedure. And it, it kind of embeds itself like muscle memory and it's more likely to happen. And just one way to think about this is what you put your attention on will grow. So put your attention on where you want to grow, on the direction you want to move, and it's more likely to happen. All of that said, this is the most important step if you're going to make any change sustain over time, is you have to do this part. Now, it's going to become really important that we dissect this further, uh, and that's going to come up here in uh, two episodes, but we also now have to confront a very real problem, which is resistance. So that's where we're going to end this episode on destination. Hopefully, you're able to wade through all that messy language on teleology and affirmations and goals and all of that the the basic premise is being you got to know where you where you want to go and know that there's a lot of things that are going to shape how you come to that conclusion so be diligent about working through all of them and if the only thing that you're able to do coming out of this episode is to have a better understanding of how you perceive what the world in your life ought to look like great keep going on that journey keep informing that that might be one of the most important things that you do as a human being but then start putting it into practice and start allowing that to inform the direction that you're going right now so that's all for today we're going to get into resistance in this next episode but for now keep learning keep growing keep becoming more human see you next time